Welcome back everyone for our very exciting second season. In these next 10 episodes, we will delve deeper to unpack the various areas of nutrition and dietetics and explore how each of our professional guests navigate their chosen paths. We look forward to you joining us as we take the next bite. Dr. Zoe Davidson is an advanced accredited practicing dietitian specializing in pediatric nutrition, as well as a senior lecturer in the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics and Food at Monash University. Zoe's PhD research pioneered the advancement of the evidence base for the nutritional management of boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Zoe is continuing research in this area, specifically focusing on energy expenditure and body composition in children with neuromuscular disorders, whilst also balancing being a parent. She's here today to give us an insight into her career as a nutrition professional, specifically in the area of paediatric nutrition. Please welcome Zoe. Hi Zoe, welcome, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. Now, with all our guests, we'd like to start with some quick fire questions. For this season, we've decided to change them up a bit. So our first question is, are you a restaurant or home cooking kind of person? So what would be your favourite dish or place? Well, I think at heart, I'm a restaurant person. I love going out. um, But practicalities at the moment with two little kids and COVID that doesn't happen very much and we've very much become cooking at home people Um, but when I go out I mean I love to eat foods that we can't cook I love eating dumplings out um, especially fresh dumplings they just don't convert very well in Uber Eats Um, (laughs) and I I love all foods. I don't, it's really hard to pinpoint one. I love a good burger. I love a good pub meal. I love a good Asian meal. Um, I love eating out. Nice. Yeah, I can definitely relate with the dumplings. Yeah. Um, question number two is, what have you enjoyed most about isolation? Um, I think it's probably just slowing down a little bit often um, and, and, and taking the commute out of my days is huge. Uh, It just gives that bit more time. You're not pushing yourself out the door. Um, And when you've got a couple of little kids, you're actually, you know, literally pushing little people out the door too. So just kind of getting out of that rat race for a little while has been really nice uh, and has kind of just taken the pressure or been, you know, given a bit more balance to life again. Yeah, sure. And question number three is, what have you been consuming recently? Either a book, a show, or like articles? Um, We've been, we've started Breaking Bad because we're really behind. We haven't watched it. I think we got through the first season way back in 2013 or 14. And so we're catching up. Um, We're making the most of kind of, it's meant to be brilliant at the end. So um, we're enjoying that. Yes, yes, I've heard that too. Question number four is, what is one thing we can't find out online about you? I hope there's a bit that you probably can't find out online about me. Um, But I was thinking maybe, I don't know if 
Um, you could find that I grew up in Darwin. Um, so I lived there until I was about seven um, with our family and then we moved um, to Queensland. So I didn't ever own a jumper until I was about seven. Um, and I you know, really much prefer warmer climates. So don't ask me why I'm living in Melbourne, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely a warm-hearted girl. And last question is, um, what did you want to be when you were a child? Um, my husband said not to say this, but <laughs> I wanted to be a tiger trainer. I was, I love tigers. <laughs> um, I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I was just obsessed. And, I, you know, Dreamworld in um, the Gold Coast has mm -hmm. the tigers and I'd seen them and they were just amazing. Um, so I thought, yeah, I'll be a tiger trainer. Um, but obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to move into our, set, our first section um, of the podcast, talking about the start of your career. And we want to know what initially sparked your interest in nutrition? Yeah, I was, I mean, I, this is maybe something else you can't find out online about me. Um, I had a really interesting course of, you know, path into nutrition. Um, I know, I remember in high school, I always knew I wanted to work with people and roughly in health and I thought I was very much heading on a kind of maybe a physio path and that's really probably because that was the extent of what I knew about allied health um, and then in year 12 I, I did a lot of drama and I did this kind of special drama called depression therapy which is kind of almost like a drama therapy where people act out scenarios against oppressors and I thought that was really cool uh, and then I started thinking about whether I could do something like drama therapy um, as a career. So I actually went to uni and I did a year of drama or theatre studies uh, at QUT. Um, it was, you know, I didn't use, in Queensland we had OPs instead of ATAR scores. So that didn't count. I auditioned, I interviewed um, and did this very different path for a year. Um, and I was, it was kind of coming to start second year and I was like, I don't really think this is what I'm meant to be doing um, because there was people, I loved it. It was so much fun, but there was people who were really had the fire in their belly for drama and that just wasn't me. And I was just sitting there one night going, I really don't want to go back and do this. What am I going to do? And then mum said to me, you know, I kind of very, um, it's quite a typical story. I was, uh, did a lot of kind of athletics in high school, played a lot of netball. Um, I'd worked for a long time in this beautiful fresh food shop, which I loved. Um, and mum had talked to me about, oh, have you ever thought about nutrition and dietetics? I'm like, oh, what's that? Um, and I talked and I read about it and I actually applied in kind of mid-January um, and last minute third round offers and changed very quickly into nutrition and dietetics um, and really I don't think I've looked back it's 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 been the right thing for me um, it's been that really good mix of health and uh, people that I've, I, I was really looking for early in the day and I think I would have been a terrible physio I can't I have very bad spatial awareness so you, you know it's it's it was kind of a zigzag path, but I got there uh, in the end. I'd love to say, I, you know, I wanted to be a dietitian since I was, you know, new 10, but um, it was just an evolving path. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, but at least I think sometimes the, like, long route, you kind of, sometimes you know what you don't want 
and that helps you get closer to what you do want. Absolutely. And I'm so glad I didn't stick it out in a course that I knew just wasn't for me. Um, and that, that was, even though it was kind of a quick decision, um, I just knew it was right. Like I had that gut feeling, you know, this is actually what I should be doing. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you were studying, what areas did you enjoy and like, what did you struggle with? Yeah. Did you end up in nutrition? Yeah. <laughs> um, thinking back, I really, I think I, I remember I really enjoyed anatomy and physiology. They seem very logical to me. Um, I do wish I'd paid a little bit more attention in some of my science classes um, and I'd love to go back, I think, and do a bit more physiology and anatomy and, and rehash. Um, I really struggled with chemistry in uni. I failed my first chemistry mid-semester. Uh, it, it's a different way to how my brain thinks. Mm -hmm. uh, kept kind of trying to understand, well, why does a molecule do this? Um, mm -hmm. And... It just didn't work for me. Um, but I kind of, you know, I learnt how to understand and study it better. Um, I remember I did struggle a lot also putting it all together. Um, the course I did was, you, you know, we did science in our science kind of subjects um, in big cohorts. And so it was hard to kind of find who the dietetics people were until... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, third year when we started to come together. Uh, and it really wasn't until started kind of into third and fourth year that it all started lining up. Oh, that's why we did this and that's why we mm. learned this. Um, and so I do have a big appreciation for our course uh, at Monash in that hopefully we do try and contextualise it a little bit uh, and make it clearer how things line up and connect um, because I do remember that was a really hard bit of thinking what you know I, th I thought I signed up for nutrition and dietetics mm -hmm. not physiology <laughs> um, even yeah. though I enjoyed it it was yeah it was hard to piece it together early on yeah and that's the thing I think some people when yeah, you really struggle with some subjects you um, you find what like you struggle to uh, figure out what the relevance is yes. of it and yeah. I think even like going through the course was sometimes we're like, you know, like how, when are we going to use like, yeah, chemistry and stuff, but you just, the thing is, I think we forget that this is all foundation yeah. um, and, and we learn these like necessary skills to be able to specialize in the areas we want. Absolutely. Um, I think it's good for people listening to this, particularly first year students, because that first um, science foundations speaking to Monash that chemistry mid-semester exam can often be a source of anxiety for new students and to hear that you a very Zoe Davidson a very esteemed you know academic still you know struggle with chemistry I think it's really important to see that there is that light at the end of the tunnel it's not just because you don't do something well on the first try it doesn't mean to give up so thank you very much for sharing that absolutely and if I can you know my plug is Oh, I sometimes I do wish, and I almost, you might see me pop up in one of your chemistry lectures, just going back to re-listen because, you know, it, whilst it's hard to piece it together, it is so important in understanding those foundations later on, even when we're designing research or trying to understand what's happening in a patient, I, I just think, oh, I need to go back and look at this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's much easier these days to go back and, and, and look at those things online now as well. Mm -hmm. 
So can you tell us of like any formative experiences early on in your career that shaped who you are today? Yeah, I think um, lots of things. Um, thinking through my uni years, I actually, um, again, I a bit more of a zigzag. I took some time off. I deferred in the first year or second year, I can't remember actually, of my um, undergrad nutrition to just go work, save money, um, refocus. Um, I was getting really tired studying um, and I just wanted to not have that kind of, not that pressure, but that kind of constant focus. I just needed some time off uh, and that was really important. It helped me get my independence. I moved out um, and got to start living a little bit as well. Um, and then I, you know, I came back to uni, I think refreshed and refocused and keen to study again. So that, I think that was really important. Um, and, and I think getting off, and I think I finished my degree stronger for it. Um, also, I think um, some of my placements at uni were really key in where I moved for, forward in my um, career. So I worked at a school for my community placement and we looked at their tuck shop um, program. And then also I did my dietetics clinical placement at the Children's Hospital in Brisbane. Uh, and both of those I think have really um, set me on the pa paediatric path because I just enjoyed them so much. I really enjoyed working with the children. I found it really rewarding. Um, and so I think they had a, a big impact. Um, the other things I think have been key is that I have moved a bit um, to do work. Uh, and my very first job was in a regional centre. Um, and then I also worked in a city hospital. So I've worked across multiple settings. And that's been so I've never had one full-time job um, and that's just made me, I think, incredible. I think I'm incredibly flexible uh, and I'm not so phased now about going into new environments because I've had to do it constantly um, and learn to adapt and be flexible. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be quite anxious. It causes a lot of anxiety going to new places and it's really helped me kind of relax and feel okay about it and confident going to new places. Um, and then also, you know, working in a regional setting, I worked in Gympie, which was about two hours drive north of Queensland. Um, there was a small regional hospital there. And I, you know, I just learnt so much about, um, I guess, being a sole practitioner um, straight out, but got to try lots of new things as well in, in dietetics, like doing home visits and, and driving and um, working with you know, lots of kind of young new grads as well. So, yeah, I think all of those things have really been key to where I've got to today. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one thing about like I've noticed when we've talked to guests who've worked in regional areas is that you have that area um, of, um, I guess, yeah, a bit of leeway to like experiment and I guess try things you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to. Um, and it seems like, yeah, that's really held a really important place um, in, yeah, who they are today, which is, yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think 
if you go to it regionally or regionally, you're often doing it quite autonomously. So being an independent worker, um, having kind of a bit more control over your day uh, is, is huge. It gives you so much um, independence. Yeah, super important. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, yeah, I guess you kind of covered as well the last question of, like, coming out of uni, did you feel ready to start your career? Like, did that um, break as well that you took, um, I guess, cement your, yeah, your decision to start working? Yeah, I think from an broadly knowledge perspective I think I felt ready I, I um, could see the patients and I wasn't you know obviously there was new kind of conditions that I had to go and learn more about I think the steepest learning curve coming out of uni was about I guess finding professional identity and, and learning what that looks like and um, I guess things you know you, you finish uni um you get a job you're earning money <laughs> it's 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 a whole new kind of phase of your life um you're having some control you've got you know people that you need to uh justify decisions to or you know sometimes there's people you also need to kind of actually not stand up to but uh, you know, push your agenda forward as well. And uh, I think that's the area where I found the steepest learning curve was, was finding my professional self after uni. I, I think that leads really nicely into the second part of our podcast where we look at your career now and how you've affirmed your place in the workforce as a paediatric nutrition professional. So to give the listeners some context, you're currently a senior lecturer in the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics and Food at Monash University. So can you work backwards and tell us a bit about how you got to this point in your career? Yeah, sure. I, I think, um, I mean, one of the most important points is that I really found peds very interesting. Um, I enjoyed the dietetics that I did in paediatrics a lot more um, than what I'd done with adults. Uh, and obviously that's a very, you know, personal preference. Um, you know, an example, I, I don't know, it's, I, I, I found it very logical. So I used to do CF clinic when I worked at the children's hospital in Brisbane and um, CF is cystic fibrosis. And so you'd calculate how much um, fat a child was eating and match that to their enzymes to help them digest it. Um, and I found that so practical and such a direct link to help children, you know, enjoy their lives. Um, and I think working with children is so much fun. Um, the families are amazing. Uh, I've learned so much for them in terms of resilience and um, moving forward and problem solving. Um, and so I think that enjoyment was where I thought, yeah, I really want to stay in this area. I was, it was just really fortunate, good timing. Um, I'd actually rang a hospital, a children's hospital to see if I could have a reference for a job I was looking for. And they had a locum position. So a kind of casual fill in. And I started doing a couple of days at the children's there. And then 
it, you know, I, it kind of continued and um, I started thinking about actually doing a, a PhD. And it was more about, I guess, my decision, feeling that perhaps I didn't want to go on and do clinical forever um, and started to explore some options. And, and again, good timing. I met with a potential supervisor who became my supervisor, who had a paediatric background um, and, and the rest kind of is history. Um, so it was, yeah, I guess some really timely events that happened, but also really loving Pete's. Mm. And just, just going into that further. So you, why did you decide to pursue a PhD in the end? And can you tell our listeners a bit about what your PhD involved? Yeah, sure. So I guess I made the decision pretty quickly. Um, I think I'd been working for about 18 months clinically. Um, and it, it's interesting. I, for some reason, even though you see different patients all the time, um, I just found maybe the rhythm of the week a bit monotonous, uh, monotonous for me. Um, I think I was starting to look for something else. Um, and I, and I thought perhaps, you know, maybe a PhD is actually what I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, I really liked solving clinical problems. So I knew very much I wanted my PhD to be kind of in that clinical space uh, and focused around generating evidence that could help dietitians practically. So that was kind of where my mindset was. Um, I also, you know, sometimes I did find also the clinical work really stressful um, and I didn't think, I'd, I'd, I don't know if I wanted to do that the whole time. Um, but I also knew that I, I did want my PhD be quite clinically focused. Um, the area of my PhD was, and it's where I still work today, is looking at nutrition uh, in children with muscular dystrophy. So there's one type of muscular dystrophy called Duchenne, and it affects boys. Um, usually boys stop walking around 11 or 12 years, uh, and they have quite a lot of problems with nutrition in terms of they can... Um, gain weight really quickly in their childhood and then they can become very underweight uh, into adulthood. Um, their bones can be impacted because of uh, medications and lack of muscle mass um, and then also once their muscles um, become weaker also eating becomes more difficult and, and chewing and swallowing. So there's kind of a whole range of nutrition issue, issues but there was like hardly any evidence to support dietitians working in the area um, in terms of things like how much energy do these boys need how much protein do these boys need what's some of the goals you should aim for as a dietitian in the area so um, it was fitted what I was looking for perfectly um, it was an area where there was very little done and I thought you know actually um, this could be very beneficial and you know once as soon as I started kind of um, doing research in the area Again, the boys are just hilarious. They make me laugh so much. Um, and I, I, I've really enjoyed also the professional kind of group. It's a very collaborative uh, group. And did you, did you know, uh, like, I mean, apart from maybe learning about Duchenne muscular dystrophy in like in the more class, I guess, uni setting, had you come across these patients in your time as a clinician or was it just something that you, I guess, learnt about through your, through your research? 
Yeah, I actually hadn't come across it before um, I started my PhD. And it, again, it was just a really timely event in that um, Helen Truby, who is my supervisor, she was approached just before I kind of gone and met with her about maybe pursuing this path. Um, she was approached by one of the uh, parent advocacy groups who were organising an education day to talk about nutrition. And she went and looked and there was kind of really nothing there. So that was then one of the options that she said, well, you know, this is potentially an area that could, you know, be developed further. Uh, and I went away and I read about it, well, what I could. And I, you know, I thought it was just really interesting and, and an area where hopefully I could contribute something. That's so, that's so interesting. And when you, when you say a clinical PhD, does that mean... Because is there a difference, say, between a more clinical and I want to say research-based, but I know a PhD is a, pretty much like it is research. But is it, I guess I mean more when it's a clinical PhD, are you working more with people throughout the process or could you just unpack that a bit? First? Yes, yes. So, sorry, yeah, what, I'm, what I meant is I wanted to work with people in my research and also probably more to put it very bluntly not healthy populations you know mm. a group that probably had a condition or um, something going on that needed some type of management and nutrition would contribute to that management um, I again as you probably would get from my you know poor chemistry history probably doing more lab-based research wasn't of interest to me um, Obviously, this whole, the whole path of research is so important. Um, we need every kind of step. But I thought, I guess, my skills lot, um, were better placed working with people. Uh, and also a way where I could potentially use my dietetic clinical skills in my research. So, I'm, so I could integrate what I do into a research pathway. Mm, yeah, that makes complete sense. And aside from completing a PhD, which is obviously an amazing achievement in itself, you have completed a range of graduate certificates in specialised areas such as paediatrics and health professional education. So we, I wasn't really aware that these existed until I was doing my research about you. So I thought it'd be great if you could just tell us a bit about what, what these graduate certificates involve as well. Yeah, um, the, the paediatric one I did was just has been so invaluable um, in terms of my paediatric knowledge. So obviously when you're at uni, it, we, we do some paediatric um, uh, content uh, through nutrition science and then also a, a kind of a baseline in the Masters of Dietetics. But it's kind of complex peds is beyond a, what we'd say, a graduate competency type of level. So the certificate I did in paediatric uh, nutrition actually was upskilling more in paediatrics. It went through, you know, really complex paediatric conditions to have a sense of what the nutritional management went through, a whole lot of things that you do quite routinely as a paediatric dietitian, like concentrating up formulas for children who need to grow, um, more in-depth look at growth charts, um, childhood obesity. Um, so, and I guess the really good thing about doing that, it was, it was so relevant to my work at 
the time and, and has set me up really nicely for just kind of having a broader understanding of some of the, the conditions that you see in paediatrics. Um, and then in terms of, I guess, my certificate in health professional education, again, I did this, I was just, I think I just finished my PhD and I was starting to do a lot more teaching. And it's interesting, I think once you've done a PhD or you're doing one, um, there is an expectation that you kind of start to do some teaching or you can do teaching. And I was like, well, you know, I've not done any training in how to be a teacher. So I, I I've, again, I think it was so relevant to what I was doing. I could take what I was learning and apply it straight away. Um, it gave me more confidence in my teaching and gave me great skills in terms of designing um, classes so that, you know, now I can actually think very clearly about, you know, how to do these things. So, you know, I think, my the, these certificates have been really timely, really relevant, um, and things that I've been able to take up and and start doing straight away. And and also, I guess it's really they're a big change from my my undergraduate, my university um, courses in that. You, I, I guess you're a lot more in control of actually doing it. You know, because <laughs> you go into uni and your you course your course is chartered to get your degree. Um, but I thought this is where I really kind of stepped up into a lot more of the principles of things like adult learning and I really wanted to do them and I wanted to do the assessments and I wanted to learn these things. Um, not that I did it in uni, but it was just a, a different, a shift. Mm. And in terms of getting into, say, those quite specialised graduate certificates, mm. are they open to, say, anyone that has done, uh, say, the Masters of Dietetics? Like, is it a... I guess a continuing professional development sort of sort of I guess certification. Yes, yes. So um, I did my 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 paid certificate through the Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Um, at the time, it was the only paediatric kind of uh, postgrad type of training, um, and they do ask that you'd had perhaps a year's experience out of uni and potentially also some paediatric work as well. Um, there is also now a course through Dietitians Australia, another paediatric one, and, and it's quite similar um, in that it will kind of give you those exposures to more complex conditions, but it also starts with kind of some more basic peds as well. So there's now kind of two really good um, paediatric training courses in Australia uh, for dietetics. Um, and then the health professional education was a little bit different that was through the uni so the other courses weren't through the uni um, and that was I actually got a scholarship to do that um, I think some of the things I guess to be aware of is that these courses can be um, I mean like costly at the time in terms of outlaying it so the PEDS course might be about 2000 from memory um, and then the health professional might have been about, you know, three to 5,000. But then I guess it's the, you know, it's hard to put a cost on what value that brings to your career mm. as well. And what's the time commitment for these sorts of certifications? Yeah, so for the PEDS course I did, it was two four-day in-person blocks. Um, and then there was also a piece of, 
uh, assessment attached to each block that you um, go away and, and submit after. And I think there was an exam at the end of each block as well that you just did at the end of the day, um, kind of as an assessment of learning. Um, in the health professional education, it was, I think, four blocks of about three days. Uh, and each of them, it was like a mini unit kind of, um, and had a, had a few pieces of, of assessment attached to it as well. Um, so that, and that was done over a year. So it is, uh, you know, it is a, a quite a big undertaking on top of work. Um, but again, I think if, if you're in the point where it's really relevant to what you're doing, you kind of just eat it up and you, you know, it, it's, it's really um, easy to kind of do that. So, you know, if, if these things, though, if you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to do it, I don't know if it's going to be irrelevant, mm. it's probably not the right time to do it. Mm. Can I ask as well, um, was this like, um, like, on, like an onus of you or did someone kind of recommend these um, courses to you? Yeah, I think the PEAT one, I was really lucky. I did it in the first year of my uh, PhD and my supervisor had said, um, come on, we want to get you to do this training um, and because she's a paediatric dietitian as well. So, it, you know, I was really so grateful for that. Um, the health professional education, I, I think that was actually more me. I applied to do this, I applied for this scholarship and um, went on and did it. Um, and so, but I'd also known of people who had done that before and that's how I knew about it and knew that it would be helpful to me. And jumping off the back of your certificate in health professional education, can you tell mm. us a bit about how being a lecturer has enhanced or I guess kind of formed a part of your career as well? Because that's a different kind of skill set in itself as well as being a clinician and a researcher. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's actually been a really rewarding um, part of what I do. Um, I do hope that you know what I teach excites others to do research because I've now moved into teaching quite a lot of research methods, um, and I, nothing makes me happier when I you know see graduates and they remember me teaching them about t tests or uh, <laughs> systematic reviews. Um, I think you know, the broader skill set that teaching brings is, you know, really useful. So things like presentation skills, time management, it's essentially almost a project management when you're convening a unit um, and, that, and that planning to get things running smoothly, um, I think are just great skills to, you know, have on board. You know, I really get incredibly nervous now before presentations because I've done quite a lot of presenting through teaching. Um, I guess some of the other things, it really helps your own knowledge. When, when you teach something, you get to know it really intimately. So um, I've found that I've been able to, I guess, concrete and really master skills through doing, but then going on to teach them as well. Mm. And to just to wrap this section up, you've also worked, in addition to being uh, everything we've already talked about, you've worked extensively with Dietitians Australia in a range of different leadership roles. So can you tell us a bit about 
these experiences and what Dietitians Australia can offer to both student, uh, to both dietitians and new graduates? Yeah, I think, you know, I really, I have done quite a bit of volunteering with Dietitians Australia and I think it's been something I've really enjoyed and something that's also really, again, built particularly, I think, my very early uh, leadership skills. So I think, again, it was post-PhD when I thought, actually, I want to start to get a bit more involved in the uh, profession. Um, uh, and I realised if I if there's things I didn't like, the best things I could do was actually to go and be involved. Um, and also, you know, I felt like... I think one of the big things I get from volunteering is that belonging to a profession, which again, I think is quite important to your professional identity. Um, and so you know, even as a student kind of joining up either at Nutrition Society or Dietitians Australia, it, it gives you that sense of, of who you belong to. Um, so I think so, some of the roles I've done, um, I kind of joined the committee for at the time, it was Vic Branch for Dietitians Australia. Um, and I did just the awards and bursaries. So I managed, you know, CPD awards. Uh, and then an opportunity came to step up and chair uh, the Vic Branch committee. And in that role, we put on different uh, professional development events. We did a, a few Healthy Weight Week events, uh, one at South Bank, one at Queen Vic Markets, um, which was really cool. So great event management skills uh, and then I, I think I stepped out of that role because um, I had my first child and then kind of came back and thought you know where would I like to contribute to DA uh, and, and join some I guess national committee so I'm on the awards and recognition committee and I've also just almost finished uh, chairing the Melbourne 2020 Conference Committee, which was going to be um, held in person, um, but then ended up, um, we're going virtual obviously because of COVID. I, I mean, I think through these interactions, I've got to meet and get to know a lot of people who I would never have crossed paths with, uh, which was so important. Um, so it's really expanded my professional network. Um, it's been such key in developing leadership skills um, and often you get opportunities that perhaps you know in your professional your paid jobs might not come up for a long time like mm -hmm. to chair a national committee for example mm -hmm. um, and the profession is so supportive in that you know the senior members will say have a go you know we're mm -hmm. here we'll support you um, so those type of opportunities are just invaluable um, and so, yeah, I think the other thing that's been really key, I think I've taken away from this is actually understanding how the association works, how the profession works, um, why things are like they are. Um, and also it's, it's a great feeling if you, if you do something and it changes something as well and that, that moves on and, and has an if effect as well. So you're personally really rewarding, great professionally um, and an opportunity just to, to connect and be involved. Mm. Um, and again, I was, I, I was a student member in my degree 
but I didn't step up into any of these volunteering roles until I was, you know, eight years post out of uni mm-hmm. and it was the right time for me as, as well. So mm-hmm. um, again, I think it needs to be the right time for you to, to engage. Um, but, you know, if there's something you don't like, you get involved and that's how you change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there something um, that kind of was like, this is like it? Um, like I really wanted, was it like you wanted to try something new? You wanted to like um, create a greater network? What was it that kind of drove you to take on all these roles um, th- in the association? Yeah, I think I'd, I f- I'd finished my PhD. <laughs> I'd done my grad cert um, and I was, you know, working. I think I just want, I was looking for something else to start to develop, I guess. Um, so it's probably more uh, a personal thing. Um, I, I, had, I had more time. I wasn't kind of studying the whole time. Um, so it was just, it was something on top of, I guess, what my work was that w- was engaging. Um, I, I perhaps when I look back, I'm probably always looking for the next thing mm. that, that, that I'm going to do. Um, And I guess the other thing, you know, if I'm going to be quite honest, um, from an academic perspective, we do part of our roles needs to be also um, what's termed a service. So it's your contribution to these types of committees, um, also things like journal reviewing, grant reviewing. um, And I thought this was a really great way that I would enjoy to kind of also meet that criteria as well. And then it's also, it's just built from there. Mm. Yeah. Because um, I think sometimes, yeah, we uh, wonder if we, like what I've noticed is well, we have uh, in this field so much variety. And like you said, you're like looking to do new things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess sometimes we, like you've touched on a lot during this is about the timing. Yes. Um, I think we all, I think in this field, have that ambition and have that drive. Um, but it's, yeah, it's about those timings and that service. Like, and what I guess that service is, um, what you said, it's like those things you kind of don't normally get in a working environment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it builds that community as well, which is really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think because it does take a lot of you when you do these roles above and beyond your work and you guys are doing it now um you need to really want to do it um there's no point doing these roles if you if you think i don't really want to do this it's not it's just not going to work so i think the timing is so important um and if you know if you're not feeling it now that's okay you know there'll be another time in your life um when when it might be right as well I mean, timing-wise, you know, the biggest example I also think is around my PhD when, I mean, I remember sitting in my last year of uni, like my last day of uni, um, and someone came to talk to us about doing PhDs. I was like, no way, I'm never going back to uni. That sounds horrendous. I'm not, like, that, that's just not me. I'm never going to do that. Uh, and then like a year and a half later, <laughs> there I am fronting up to try and apply for a PhD. So, you know, I think it's all timing and, and it, it being right for you. And never ruling anything out as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Uh, so for the final part of our podcast, we wanted to get you to look back and give some advice for students and graduates who may want to pursue a career in pediatrics. So from, I guess, taking more of a meta perspective, I guess we've looked at we've looked at your um, your roles as a pediatric dietitian, but from more of an insider's perspective, how would you describe pediatric nutrition? Yeah, I think I think it's really broad. Um, there's definitely, you know, I guess, different arms of pediatrics. So there's a lot more preventative community nutrition um, with children. Uh, things like menu assessments of daycare centres would fall in there. I know one of our graduates is starting to work in the school system. So yeah, there's that whole massive preventative health, childhood obesity strategies, for example, uh, would fall into that. Uh, and then I think you do have more, your very, again, I say clinically focused paediatrics where um, you might be working with children with a range of different conditions as well. Uh, a lot of, you know, our focus in paediatric nutrition, whether it is preventative strategies or um, working with children who have a condition is around you know, optimising growth for children and development. So helping them to reach you know, their growth potential, their development potential, um, it, it's just such a big key focus. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really broad um, area. And you touched on um, like doing like the community side and the clinical side. So when it comes to um, choosing whether to pursue the dietetics course, is it really um, necessary if you are interested in um, paediatrics or is it still possible to do paediatrics in nutrition? It's absolutely still possible. Um, I think, you know, obviously if you were really, you know, heart set on working in a, in a hospital, that would, you know, definitely be a master's in dietetics. But outside there's there's so much to do. You know, there's obviously paediatric kind of base research but then also community health and prevention and policies and all all that great stuff that your public health work will prepare you for um, would fit so nicely um, there's a lot of pediatric kind of content that you, you do get in your nutrition science um, grad as well um, the other thing is you know food industry is, is huge for, for children and, and being an agent of change and, a, and an advocate for nutrition in that space um, would be so important. So, you know, absolutely. I think paediatrics is something anyone can pursue. And what would you say one of the biggest challenges is about going into paediatric nutrition um, or working? I, I think, I, I mean, if I, if I, again, from perhaps a clinical perspective, um, to work in hospitals is potentially just a smaller pool of jobs um, because, you know, there's not as many children's hospitals, for example, as there are um, in as adult hospitals. Uh, I think, I think one of the kind of the trickiest things is negotiating um, family relationships because when you're working with children um, you're depending on obviously the age of the child or the young person you're often off working with the parents and maybe the child um, 
or you know if you're doing health promotion who are you addressing your messages to um, we know that really whole families need to kind of make changes for them to be effective so I think that complexity around families is I think one of sometimes the most challenging thing um, and also from a I guess really what I do more now is research um, is make is deciding actually is what we thinking is what we are thinking about doing in the best interest of the child and that that needs a lot of consideration because it's so important and obviously you know that self parents or guardians that's their role to make some of those decisions as well but um being really conscious that they are a vulnerable group is is so key and, and and it's often in my thoughts is this the best step is this what we should be doing are we doing the right thing for these children um and 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 constantly thinking about that is critical. And you mentioned before that you have two young children. So yeah. how did having children affect the way that you practice as a paediatric dietitian and vice versa? Yeah, I think um, it, it's, it has made me a lot more aware of how tricky some things can be to change in the family environment. You know, I think... Um, you might say, oh, okay, you've got to go and do this now. And then actually the reality of that for that family could be so hard. So I think I'm just a bit more in tune to what it means for the family. Um, I think I it, it's been really helpful for me as a parent in that I don't, mum tells me I'm really calm when my children eat and throw food or don't eat it. <laughs> you know, I, I've been a lot more, relaxed in knowing that okay it's fine we, we've just got to keep giving them this food and I've seen that that really works you know um, so that has helped me as a parent um, and then on the flip side again just seeing children eat watching them develop that skill and having such it's just given me a much more deeper understanding of what a big skill it is for children to develop you look to learn how to eat kind of thing, even just from digesting foods early on right through to eating complex foods and trying new things. Um, it's such a big part of their early life. Yeah, we had, we had the opportunity in a unit last semester to watch, watch your children eat. <laughs> and even that, I know that sounds really strange probably to anyone that didn't do the unit, but even, even that experience, I found it was just so interesting to learn, take the lectures from Evelyn and actually put that into practice by observation. So I can imagine it's a whole different level of observation when they're actually your children. But yeah. I, absolutely. That's, that's what I mean. It's just like an intense observation constantly. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps one thing, if, if you are thinking that paediatrics is something that sparks your interest, try and watch children eat, um, get to know children's food, get to know what type of you know, consistencies and things that they do like to eat um, because that is just such a key part of having those, um, that knowledge to help as well. That actually leads nicely into the question I was just about to ask, which is what is one skill that you think nutrition students should focus on learning that would complement their studies, perhaps regardless of the field that they'd like to go into? 
Uh, I, I think it would be knowing foods is perhaps one of the, the best things that you can do. So when someone tells you what they're eating, you know exactly what they're eating. You can get a really good estimate of the size of the foods. You know what's on the market. Um, when people, people often talk brands and they talk and um, new foods when they come out. Um, so I think having such a good knowledge of food will set you up so well. Um, for whatever you work in. And what has been a highlight of your career so or life so far? And what are you most proud of in the work that you've done as a paediatric nutrition professional? Um, I think it's definitely kind of really stems from my research. Um, I think a big highlight was in 2018, I got to go to the Netherlands to present at a nutrition workshop, which was about nutrition in muscular dystrophy. And I think, I remember I walked into the room and they're like, oh, you know, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm Zoe. And like, oh, you're Zoe, you wrote this and this and this. And I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, someone's actually read some of my research. And, you know, I think I just, I felt really, um, happy that what I was writing and doing was actually uh, contributing overall to hopefully um, putting nutrition as an important part of the care plan for these um, for these boys and their families um, and, and and being an advocate for nutrition in the area and I guess also because a lot of these things are run uh, by um, charities who are often run by parents um, who have a child with a, a neuromuscular condition it it make it, I guess it's it's great to know that they value what you're doing because then obviously hopefully you're making a difference for their life which is which is really what I like to see it's what I you know what I aim for in my research mm. and what values are you committed to upholding in your work, whether that be as a clinician or lecturer, researcher? I think one of the big ones for me is around collaboration and working as a group and working as a team and being supportive of each other, celebrating people um, and, and their victories uh, and, and helping people problem solve through what they need. So, you know, what I do, I couldn't do without collaboration. It's so important and I get, you know, so much out of collaborating as well. So I think that's that's really essential to what I do. Um, resilience is, is important and being able to problem solve your way out of anything, really not letting it knock you to the ground, working out, okay, well, how do we fix this and, and what do we do? What are our next steps? Um, and, and from that also kind of flexibility and adaptability. Um, I think they would be really key things that I keep working on. And, and honesty, like I think you've got to be integ you know, um, honest with yourself, be justified in what you're doing. Mm. And for any, oh, we thought this would be a fun question to give you, which is, can you give us a bit of an elevator pitch for why listeners uh, could consider or should consider pursuing a career in paediatric nutrition? 
Well, if I, I'm not being too biased, but I think it's, you know, the one area where you can have an impact on someone's life, entire life, because, you know, what you change whilst they're a child or a young person will impact them for the rest of their lives. If you can help them achieve optimal growth, optimal development, they're going to be, you know, in the strongest position to start their adult life. Um, and we know very much so that what happens in childhood does impact on people um, as young adults, as adults and, and, and onto the future. So I think it's, you know, the area where you can have the biggest impact on someone's life. Sold. I love that. Yeah, I'm sold. I love that. Oh, that is fantastic. Mm. And just to wrap up this section, what is one bite or sort of pearl of wisdom that you could give to current nutrition students and graduates? Uh, I thought about this and, and what I really want to say is I don't think there's one perfect nutrition and dietetics job. Um, you know, we often, you know, come out and look for one full-time job. I've never had one full-time job. And I often think about perfection in the imperfection. So I've actually had always different jobs and they've worked together so amazingly. Um, so I think that there's not one size fits all nutrition career. Um, and to find what that looks like, what your perfect career is, try lots of new things, say yes to opportunities um, and believe in yourself that you can do them as well. Our um, fantastic conversation. We wanted to ask you, where do you see nutrition going in the future? I think sustainability is going to be huge uh, and interaction in terms of with the food industry in particular about how to produce a sustainable food supply for the world. Uh, I think that's going to be massive for nutrition, um, I especially, you know, I think post-COVID, the models of healthcare are going to change dramatically. So digital and virtual health and how we might deliver nutrition very differently, to perhaps to how we've been doing before. And then also I've been thinking a lot about diversity in nutrition as well. Um, I think we need to diversify our workforce a little bit. Uh, so that's more, I guess, a workforce issue that hopefully nutrition starts to think about more as well. Mm. And what is your next bite? So the next project that you're working on? I'm thinking a bit about more broadly energy expenditure um, in children with chronic disease. So I've done kind of some work looking at it in the neuromuscular disorders, but trying to think more broadly across um, paediatrics uh, and looking at how much energy children need, uh, especially when they've got a certain type of condition. So just a question about, just a question just popped up when, from yeah. what your next bite is, is so I think, in my head, and I don't know if other students feel like this as well, think this, is that once you finish a PhD, kind of what actually happens after that in terms of your research? Because I feel like one, one block of questions would generate a whole other set of questions. But how does that work when you've already kind of achieved the pinnacle of, you know, of being, you know a having a PhD? What happens after that? Well, I, I'm, I'm probably going to change it up and say the PhD is just your training it's not your pinnacle so it, it's how you learn to do research and, and start to make steps as an independent researcher then you move in kind of to a postdoc period where 
you are you know, concreting your ability to be an independent researcher so you can get a problem and you can go and and solve that using research methods on your own without a team of supervisors. So, um, and what, you know, sometimes people's postdocs relate to what they did in their PhD. Sometimes it's completely different, but they're using the same skills they learnt in their PhD. Um, and then um, you start to move up again more uh, and, and you build your own team in, uh, in terms of researchers and that research team can have PhD students in it and build and solve more problems. So. Um, I think your PhD is really your, is, is your starting point um, mm. and of people stay in the same areas or they use the skills and apply them to different areas as well. And I've very much stayed in my same area, um, but looking, I guess, now for my career to expand that uh, and I'll hopefully work towards building my own research team. That, thank you very much for addressing that because I, I don't know, Tiana, how did, like, what did you, I, I, I just didn't even, I didn't really know what happens after that. So it's really good to hear that that's kind of, there's such a progression and to see, yeah, to see a PhD as the start. And then from there, you know, do you have, are you supervising uh, the PhD students or is, or is, how does that, like, is that quite a long process to get to that point? Um, no, often um, it's something that you start to do after your own PhD. So I have um, one student who I'm what we say primary supervisor for, so I'm kind of their main point of call. Um, and then, you know, people like Claire, for example, she might have 10 students. So you, that, there's a clear progression there as you, mm -hmm. as you build your capability. Um, and obviously, as a researcher, it, it's almost impossible to be running so many projects and that's where teams come involved and, and, and students and supervisors work together to get a range of projects done. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of season two of The Next Bite. We really hope you enjoyed that episode with the wealth of knowledge that is Zoe Davidson. Uh, Tiana and I particularly enjoyed the way that Zoe approached the concept of timing and failing forward and that it is really important to always be thinking of the next step and you're know, looking at multiple pathways when planning your nutrition career. So thank you so much for tuning in and look forward to our uh, second episode coming to you next week. So this, this, uh, this semester we're going to be running 10 episodes. So you can look forward to a weekly episode um, in your ears each Friday. Thank you.